it is finally that time of year football fans it's super bowl week and we are just days away from super bowl 55 between the kansas city chiefs and the tampa bay buccaneers two great football teams will duel it out in tampa for the right to hoist the lombardi trophy who will it be we'll have to find out on super sunday Welcome back to the 49 Away Podcast. It's your host, Jay Sahota, and a lot to get to on this Super Bowl preview edition of the 49 Away Podcast. Coming up on this episode, I'll be joined by my longtime friend and diehard Patriot fan, Bilal Alahi, and we will talk Matthew Stafford being traded and the big blockbuster trade between the Rams and Lions. We will preview Super Bowl 55, headlines, X-Factors, keys to the game, Super Bowl MVP predictions, and all that. We will also give our predictions for the NFL season awards ahead of the NFL honors, which will be held the night before the Super Bowl. And of course, don't forget to give the 49er way a follow on Instagram for more 49ers news and analysis. And on today's episode, I will be joined by my longtime friend and diehard Patriot fan, Bilal Lahi, to help me co-host this episode. Bilal, how are we doing today? Oh boy, I'm excited. Let's get it. That's awesome, man. Glad to have you on the show. This should be a good episode for sure. And we'll start off by, of course, we'll get to talking about the Super Bowl and all that. But there was some big news coming out of L.A. between the Lions and the Rams. Matthew Stafford, we knew he was going to be traded earlier in the week. He's officially been dealt to the L.A. Rams in exchange for Jared Goff, a 2021 third-round pick, a 2022 first-round pick, and a 2023 first-round pick. So two first-round picks and Jared Goff and a third-rounder dealt for Matthew Stafford. What are your thoughts on this trade? Honestly, I thought it was a lot. I mean, I, I kind of keep Jared Goff and Stafford in the same range as quarterbacks. Really? And you throw in, throw in two firsts, I just don't think uh, it's that much of an upgrade. Damn. I mean, it's... Here's the thing, like, I think I've been watching Matt Stafford for a long time now, since, like, when did he start? Like, 2010, 2011, he started with Detroit. He's always had a big arm, and he's he's a good quarterback. He's just, he hasn't had a full team around him to succeed. Having said that, you can't say he didn't have weapons, because this is a guy who played with one of the best wide receivers, you know, at, at his ability in Calvin Johnson and there were other guys up there and even the last few years with Galladay and Jones and, and Golden Tay when he was there like he's he's had good talent around him so I personally think the Rams gave up yes they gave up a little bit too much but I think this was a good move and I think he'll flourish under Sean McVay personally from a Niner fan standpoint I I, I hate that he's on LA I don't like that he's there I think he's going to do great under Sean McVay but at the same time, I, I don't know if I would have given up two first-rounders either, though. Yeah, no, I, I definitely would not have thrown in two first-rounders. I also think Stafford's stats are a little misleading. You know, they're always behind, so he's always having to throw the ball a little bit more. I think that's why he gets all these lot of yards every single year. So I think, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, Detroit is a team that, Yes, they have played from behind a lot and Stafford has had to throw and he hasn't really had a good run game. I think I was reading an article that the last time he had a good run game was in like 2012 when he had or 2013 when he had Reggie Bush leading the way in the backfield. So that's a long time. And now you're going to a team that's 
our run first offense. So I think that's going to be a little interesting, but you know, I, I, I think for, since this is the 49er way podcast, I mean, from a 49er fan standpoint, I think 49ers Twitter is just a bit too much. I think they are so focused on trying to get rid of Jimmy G and it's just like, it's, it's a bit too much. Like, yes, I think Stafford would have been an upgrade. I think he would have been great, but I think people just need to slow the roll a bit because the Rams were good under Jared Goff. It's not like they were bad. I just, it kind of blows my mind that Sean McVay was so quick to get rid of Goff. Do you know what I mean? Oh, for sure. Even, think the other day they had a report saying there was going to be a quarterback battle in camp yeah so yeah they were right it was away. supposed to be him and Wolford yeah and even in the first round I mean I get he was hurt but he was still active and they still didn't play him until they had to yeah no 100% I mean it's I think that was a good first indication that the Rams definitely were not settled on him because you you got to be thinking that Goff is active he's somewhat healthy and he's your starter that he would be out there, but clearly that's not the route that Sean McVay went on. And eventually Goff ended up getting in there and he ended up, you know, playing pretty well, not too great or anything, but he did fairly decent. But I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I think the Rams did what they did. They gave up their future. They clearly want to win now. I think they have a pretty complete team, but here's my message to 49er fans, you know, wherever they are listening to this. My personal standpoint on this is I still believe with a healthy Jimmy Garoppolo and a healthy supporting cast, the 49ers still have the best supporting cast in the NFC West. Having said that, the Cardinals got DeAndre Hopkins. Now the Rams go and they, they make their big move. Seattle went out last offseason and went out and got Jamal Adams. So, you know, I, I'm kind of sitting here thinking, are the Niners going to go out there and make that that new blockbuster move? But either way, even if they don't, I'm I'm content with it. Like we still have a stacked offense. So I think people just need to relax a little bit and you know, we'll see how the rest of the offseason goes out from there. But do you think the Lions or the Rams won this trade? I think the Lions won this trade. I mean, you got a good bridging quarterback. If he is your guy, if he isn't your guy, I mean you got a nice little bridge to bridge these eras, and then you got yeah. first rounders. I mean, just complete reset almost everywhere else. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I definitely agree with that. I think Detroit's heading in that direction. And I think you agree. I agree with the whole bridge thing. I think Jared Goff is a good player to have in there as a bridge. Or if you want him for, you know, a few more years, I think that's good too. I think Anthony Lynn's a pretty good offensive coordinator. I think, I think, I think he'll be fine. And I know Lions fans are probably sick and tired of, oh, another rebuild and, and whatever. But, you know, you got to be patient at the end of the day. But I think that the Rams got their guy. But you're in a division with three stacked teams. And Matthew Stafford has played in a division where Minnesota's good like every other year. The Bears are good in like once every five years. And then, of course, the Packers are always there. But, you know, Stafford hasn't been able to take that Lions team to the next level. I think this will be – I think there'll be more pressure on Stafford than people think that there will to succeed, knowing that you're on a team that's fairly complete and you're in a division that's the best – in 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 all of football yeah for sure he's never had these expectations on him now now there's championship expectations you got that swirling around Detroit whatever you know you go put up your numbers yeah it's all right 
Yeah, 100%. I agree with that. I think there'll be pressure on McVay as well for making that bold decision as well. But we'll see what happens. Got all offseason to talk about that. But having said that, there is still one football game left in the NFL season. And it all comes down to the Chiefs and the Buccaneers. Kansas City making their second straight Super Bowl appearance. The Buccaneers making their first Super Bowl appearance in 18 years. But their quarterback, we all know, is no stranger to playing in February. And of course, none other. You know that more than anybody. Tom Brady is no stranger to February football. What's your initial thoughts on this Super Bowl matchup? Oh, man. I kind of, I think we all kind of expected the Chiefs to get here. I mean, they're just a powerhouse offensively. Um, Bucks, they got after a little bit of a shaky start early on. A lot of people doubted them, but hey, man, this guy's a winner. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think the Chiefs were always the lead dog for most of the season. I thought when the Steelers were undefeated, I, I thought that they would be there in the AFC Championship game. Did I think they could beat the Chiefs? No, I did not. I thought the Chiefs were still the favorite no matter what, but I definitely agree with that. But as for the Bucks, it, it's almost like a typical Tom Brady type season, right? It's the same thing when he was with New England where in September, the Patriots would be like two and two and everyone would be like, oh, that's it for Brady. That's a wrap. And then, and then boom. And then they just, they just skyrocket the rest of the season. And that's similar to what happened here. They were seven and five. And then December went undefeated, went into the playoffs and took out two of the best teams, two of the best quarterbacks and Breeze and Rodgers in the postseason. So I think it was a very Brady-like season, if you will. I mean, you could probably correct me on that. Oh, yeah, that makes complete sense. It's even a little bit more because, I mean, in New England, it's like, yeah, you figure yourself out. You're two and two, right? You always figured yourself out. But yeah. here, completely new situation, no training camp, none of that. So it's kind of like the first month or two even was just like getting used to his guys, you know? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, that was really the story the whole season was, you know, the Bucks are still figuring it out. You know, they're still trying to you know get their feet wet and, and get the chemistry together. And our Arians and Brady still on the same page and all that. And I think they, they ended up figuring it out. And I think Brady mentions that everything kind of clicked week 15 against Atlanta. And a lot of people are probably thinking, what the what the hell? Like, we week 15 is when you guys click. But at this point, it doesn't matter because here they are playing in the Super Bowl. But... It is pretty crazy how Tom Brady has been around this long. He has created rivalries with so many different players, but it's kind of crazy that Mahomes is in his third year of being a starter. Brady's in, what is this, like year 20, year 21, and they already have a rivalry. This is game five that they are playing against each other head-to-head. The series is tied at two. It's it's pretty crazy to think that that we have a guy in his early 20s and then a guy in his early 40s, and here they are having... A rivalry is pretty insane. For sure. You ever see that stat? It's like when Brady first won his Super Bowl ring, Patrick Mahomes was in kindergarten. I mean, for him to be having rivalries with dudes 20 years younger than him is just like unreal. It's it's just incredible. And I think that's the whole story that that's going to be leading up up until that is Mahomes versus Brady and, you know, two of the best to do it and, and whatever. And I think, you know, Mahomes is going to have an incredible career. I think we all know that. But I still personally think win or lose, Tom Tom Brady, what he's done is just, you know, you can't replicate something like that. Unless Mahomes were to win four or five rings and then leave Kansas City late in his future. Of course, that could be God knows how many years from now that that would happen. Would that happen? But 
I think this is going to be one of those conversations. 10 years from now, we're going to be looking at, you know, who's the GOAT between Mahomes and Brady if Mahomes gets that far. And I think this is going to be a conversation similar to, you know, Jordan and LeBron. But I think that this the conversation is kind of deferred because it really depends on what Mahomes does, you know, within this next decade to be able to compare the two, right? Oh, I mean, it, it really does look like he's on his way. But I, I just don't want this conversation. You know, I just want to enjoy both of them while we can. You don't know how many years Brady's got left. And let's just enjoy Mahomes too, man. 100%. I couldn't agree more with that, especially with Tom Brady. I know Mahomes will, you know, he'll be here for God knows how many years. But Tom Brady especially, I think it's at the point where you need to appreciate every game that he's in. Because when he's gone, you know, I really do feel like some people will miss the greatness of it. Other people will be like, uh, whatever, he's gone and whatever. He was in the Super Bowl every other year. But the people who really do appreciate greatness, now they'll, they'll miss it. And speaking of greatness, the Buccaneers will do something that no NFL team has ever done by playing the Super Bowl in their home stadium for the first time ever. Do you think that's going to play an effect in, in any way, shape, or form? I think it will, but... I mean, of all the years to have home field advantage it has to be this year right i mean 100 they're not gonna have their own fans there i mean half the stadium's not even gonna be full um the one thing i can see though is that i believe kansas city can't fly to tampa until a couple days before yep two Um, days before they're already gonna be there they're gonna be sleeping in their own beds same daily routine they've had all year long so that might play a factor yeah, I definitely agree with that. I was thinking about that too. And if it were another team other than Tampa from the NFC, yeah, you're right. It'd, they'd be flying in two days before game day. And I think that definitely is different because your teams that usually make the Super Bowl usually come down a week before and you got all the festivities, you got media day and all that. Now you don't have that. It's just, you know, you come in on, on Thursday or Friday and you get straight into the game on Sunday. So I do think Tampa Bay will benefit from that. But the Chiefs are experienced as anyone. I I don't think they'll have much of a problem. But so the question is, how did these two teams get here? The Chiefs and the Bucks. And we'll start with the AFC champion, Kansas City Chiefs. Their road to the Super Bowl. The Chiefs went 14-2. and They were the number one seed in the AFC and had home field advantage throughout the postseason. They only had one real loss. Their only loss, they lost to the Raiders in Week 5, 40-32. And for God's sakes, it took the Raiders to drop 40 to beat the Kansas City Chiefs in that game. And other than that, the Chiefs really haven't lost all year. Their only other loss came in Week 17 against the Chargers when they benched majority of their starters. The Chiefs have won their fifth straight AFC West Division title. They beat the Browns in the divisional round in a scrappy affair. Mahomes left late in that game to win 22-17, and then they destroyed the Bills in the AFC title game 38-24. And now Mahomes, Andy Reid, and this potent Kansas City Chiefs team are making back-to-back Super Bowl appearances for the first time since their opponent, Tom Brady and the New England Patriots, did it just 2018 and 2017. So, so the Buccaneers, how did they get here? Well, it was it was shaky at the start. You know, their offense wasn't clicking. They went 11-5. So they didn't win their division. They were five seed in the NFC. And they had to get to the Super Bowl by winning three road games, right? That doesn't happen a lot. And not only were these road games just road games, they had to go to New Orleans, and they had to go two of the hardest places to play. They had to beat Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees, and uh, they pulled it off. But 
early on, it did not look good. They lost to the Saints twice. They lost to the Bears, the Chiefs, and the Rams. So it was not looking good at all. Yeah, for sure. And, of course, the Buccaneers are speaking of which. Of course, we talked about how they won three straight road games to get here. This was their the first wildcard team since the Packers did it in 2010 to win three road games and then play in the Super Bowl, of course. The only difference is the Buccaneers are playing a home game in the Super Bowl is really the only difference. But, yeah, the Bucs defeated Washington and third-string quarterback Taylor Heineke in round one in the wildcard round. They defeat the Saints and Packers, as you mentioned, in the divisional round and championship round. And what what a what a run for the for the Tampa Bay Bucks and Tom Brady. But you look at these two teams, both of them are just absolutely loaded with weapons on the offensive side, especially, but the defensive side too. Any key matchups early on that you're kind of looking out saying, Yeah, that's the matchup I'm looking forward to on Sunday? Oof, man, I hope we get Devin White covering Kelsey. Oh, yeah. I mean, normally, Kelsey has a mismatch on whoever he is. He always seems to be open. But Devin White's not a regular linebacker. He's got some wheels on him. So oh, yeah. That'll He's be everywhere. interesting. That'll everywhere. Be definitely interesting. Oh, yeah. Every time you watch the Bucks, man, I just see number 45 is just everywhere. Devin White is all over the place. And I think Travis Kelsey the same way. Every time you watch a Chiefs game, him and Tyree Kill have just been, like, dominating. Like, it's been – honestly, I was thinking about this the other day. In the NBA, you see big threes, you know, as a common thing every season. The NFL, that doesn't really happen all, all the time. You would have to say, if there is a big three in the NFL, it's got to be Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey, no? A hundred percent. I mean, it, and they've lived up to it this year, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, all the preseason chatter, you know how hard it is to repeat. And oh, they, yeah. They didn't miss a beat. Like, just unstoppable sometimes, like. Yeah, no, no question. They've, I mean, the way that Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, I was so amazed, especially in that divisional round against the Browns when Mahomes went out. I was like, now this is finally the time that I was looking forward to seeing how are the Chiefs going to handle something like this? Of course, I never wish that it had to come down to a point where they lose Mahomes to an injury. That was a very scary sight, but I, I wanted to see how the Chiefs would handle some kind of adversity and what did Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey do? They just put the team on their back and was like, hey, you can just give us the ball and and we'll take care of business. And that's exactly what they did. But I, I definitely think that's definitely a key matchup. I definitely want to see if the Buccaneers front seven can take advantage of the Chiefs banged up O-line. There's going to be some missing guys there. Um, just how, how did the Bucs secondary come out too? I mean, they got torched in that first meeting in the regular season. How did they bounce back? But... There's just so many matchups. I mean, Mike Evans or Chris Godwin against Tyran Matthew. You got, you know, Tyreek Hill against like Winfield and Murphy Bunting. Like there's a gazillion matchups in this one. It's like impossible to choose one. Oh, I 100% agree. Playmakers on both sides of the ball for both teams. So I'm expecting fireworks all game long. Um, But to me, it actually comes down to the other dudes. I mean, in... Last game, we saw guys like McCole Hardman get involved. You know what I mean? And that's just anything on top of a KC offense like McCole Hardman coming up. It's just gravy. Everything is just gravy yeah. at that point. Yeah, 100%. I definitely agree with that. It seems like every year, you know, there's always a guy in the Super Bowl that makes a name for themselves. And I think that's a common theme amongst all the Super Bowls. And I think when you look at both teams, you got – 
you know, the superstars. But then you got a lot of other guys like Miko Hardman, a guy that's been making plays all season long that no one has really, you know, highlighted as a, as a key threat on that team. But he is. There's going to be a player like that that's going to come out and make a play in this game and the world's going to know about them. But in this game, there could be God knows how many keys. What are the three keys to the game? I got it's going to come down to defense. I always think it does. So who's going to make the plays on defense, whether it's a forced fumble, interception down late, that's one of my keys. Number two I got is, like I said earlier, the others. So maybe it's a deep bomb to Scotty Miller again. Maybe it's Cole Harmon going for a 50-yard again. Who else? Because everybody knows they want to go to Kelsey. Everybody knows they want to go to Kelsey. But who's going to be the guy that steps up? And then my last thing is how is – the Chiefs going to deal with that front four of Tampa Bay. They've been on fire. Eric Fisher is out. That's just a matchup to watch right there, too. Yeah, 100%, especially in these last two games, that Buccaneers defense. Todd Bowles has got them hitting on all cylinders. Um, For me, when I look at this game, I think it's which team and coach takes the most risks. And I've been saying this all season long, that no one's going to beat Kansas City unless you take risks. And the Raiders for that matter, were the team that did it back in week five, and they almost did it again when they met in their second meeting too. They were the team that went out there and took risks to beat Kansas City. Cleveland had an opportunity, didn't do it. Buffalo had multiple opportunities, they didn't do it. But the one thing that I know is Bruce Arians, his motto when he's been coaching for years, you don't risk it, no biscuit. So I know for a fact that Bruce Arians is going to come out in this game and they're going to take shots. So I know that I know that Tampa Bay is going to be aggressive and that's what I like especially you saw that in the last game with that going deep to Scotty Miller before the half. So I'm really looking forward to this matchup. Andy Reid is mad aggressive, so is Bruce Arians. I think that's that is a matchup that I'm looking forward to to see which coach makes makes that decision to take that risk and take that shot in a time that you know, it's it's going to be a big moment in the game. But how do the Bucks handle the emotions and the inexperience of being in the Super Bowl? Not only are you, of course, playing a home game in the Super Bowl is going to be a ton of emotions added on. We all know there's a ton of raw emotions in the Super Bowl, period. But to play it in your home stadium, there's going to be a lot there. And of course, aside from Brady and Gronk, not a lot of these guys have been to the Super Bowl. I know Andamakan Sue was there two years ago. But you look at the rest of that roster, you know, JPP's been there a few times in his career. But other than those guys, there hasn't been a lot of experienced Buccaneers players. So I want to see how do they handle that. But I know Brady, his effect on the team has been there all year. I think they'll be just fine. And last but not least, this has been my key in every single Super Bowl for the last few years. Whichever team turns it over last is is the loser of the game. That's what whoever gets the last turnover ends up winning the game. Mahomes and Brady are particular, very, very good when it comes down to take care of the football. So it's going to be which defense makes that impact and causes that turnover in this game. But when it comes down to it, we talked about all the weapons on each side of this game. If you had to pick an X factor and a Super Bowl MVP, who you got? Ooh, okay, my X factor, I got to go with the Tampa front four. I'm thinking... No one in particular, just the front four. If those four can get pressure on Mahomes without having to blitz and without him, because I think he's going to pick up part of blitz. He's too good. Oh, yeah. If they can get pressure straight up, front four, my guys are better than your guys. 
that is one key to watch. That's that's my X factor right there. Shaquille Barrett, JPP, all of them dudes. Hundred percent. Yeah, I definitely agree with that one. I think Tampa's front four has just been killing it lately, and and if they're able to get to Mahomes, Mahomes is so good at making a play outside of the pocket and then if there's no one open goes through his reads he will scramble and pick up five ten yards and he's so good at that Tampa's got to be ready for that my x factor in this game I know the 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 front four is gonna is gonna play a huge part but this Buccaneers secondary has to play a massive part in this game for them to win this game they allowed 269 yards to Tyreek Hill alone the last time that they met back in week 12 the Buccaneers are not going to be able to win this game if, if they allow something like that to happen again. Like, that just cannot happen. And if I had to single out one player to look out in this game, my X Factor, Sean Murphy Bunting in that Tampa secondary. He has had interceptions in every single game in the playoffs in the Washington Saints and Packers game. He's a guy who I look out for and I think is going to play a big factor in this football game. But as for Super Bowl MVP, so many different choices. Who do you think stands out? I mean, oh, this this is an interesting one because this can go 10 different ways. Normally, it's always going to the quarterback. But here you have options like Tyreek Hill who can just take over a game. If he gets 200 yards again, they have to give it to him, right? Same thing with Kelsey. If he gets oh, 12 yeah. catches at 150 yards, he's going to get the MVP. But I'm going with all reliable. I'm going Tom Brady. I'm picking Tom Brady just strictly because of his name. That's it. I I mean, to be quite honest, I can't disagree with that. I mean, when it comes down to Tom Brady, I mean, you know, he's always the reason why the team wins the football game. And I know it's always a team game, but Tom Brady has an effect like no other on a football team. So I think when it comes down to it, there's going to be a lot of different playmakers. And I think more times than not, if I had to bet on someone being that MVP, yeah, it's probably going to go to Tom Brady just because exactly like you said, his name's Tom Brady, six-time Super Bowl champ, if he wins, seven-time Super Bowl champion. But I, I think that's the obvious pick, and of course Mahomes would be the other obvious pick, but there are so many different players in this game. Tyreek Hill, going to play a massive role in this game. Same with Travis Kelsey, same with Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Ronald Jones, the list goes on. There is one guy in this game, and I hope and pray to God that he's healthy. Because it would be the sickest, craziest storyline if Antonio Brown, the forgotten guy on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, stepped into the Super Bowl, just erases his whole past of, you know, the the psycho guy and he, unstable and whatever. Antonio Brown's been through a lot of crap in the past two years or so. It's for him to get a chance to play on this stage and ball out, would be insane. My Super Bowl MVP, if he's healthy, this is completely outside of the box. I could look like a fool after Super Bowl Sunday, or I could look like, you know, I could look like a genius by making this pick. If Antonio Brown's healthy, I'm picking him to win Super Bowl MVP just because there are there, there's so many weapons out there. Like, you could pick anybody, but I'm going to go AB. I think he's going to make an impact. Everyone's going to try and eye out Evans and Godwin and Scotty Miller and Gronk and Brait. But the one guy you cannot forget about, if he's healthy, Antonio Brown. If AB is not healthy and he's inactive, my backup choice is Devin White. We already talked about him on the defensive side. I think if anyone's going to make a play on defense, 
I would bet on Devin White making that play. So, And I would love to see a defensive guy win MVP. It's more than likely an offensive guy is going to win Super Bowl MVP. But Devin White's a guy that has had an unbelievable playoffs. And I'll, I'll take him as my backup in case AB is, for some reason, inactive and he can't go in the Super Bowl. But, of course, every year there's just a ton of Super Bowl moments. We know you've had a ton. The Patriots being there like every other year. The Niners have been there twice in the past decade. But... If you had to pick a, a favorite Super Bowl moment, Patriot or not Patriot related, what would it be? Oh man, I can't have a Super Bowl moment and not be a Patriots moment. But there's of even course. even then, it's tough. I mean, just the lot, but the comeback against Atlanta and the Malcolm Butler interception have to be my two favorite. I can't pick between them. Those are the two greatest games of all time, in my opinion. And I can't see anything more. Like, we all saw those games. And in the moment, I'm sure a lot of you guys thought those are the greatest of all time, too. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Honestly, I think one of my favorite Super Bowl moments was definitely the Patriots coming back against Atlanta. That was just legendary, what Tom Brady was able to do, what the Patriots were able to do to make that comeback. I mean, the only reason why I I don't like that game is because, you know, my guy Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator in Atlanta. That's the only reason why I have a bad feeling in, about that game and bad memories. But overall, it was just, it was just so entertaining that you can't like when you. I look at all the Super Bowls that I've watched. That's the one that jumps out to me. It's like I, I don't know if there's a better one than that one. Maybe it's this one. Who knows? But my personal favorite Super Bowl moment, I think I would have to go a 49ers related one. I'm not gonna pick one from last year because the Niners had the lead and then lost it. But back in 2012. They were trailing the Baltimore Ravens. They were getting their butts kicked. And then they made a comeback, unfortunately, weren't able to finish it. But Colin Kaepernick ran for, a, I think it was like a 20-yard touchdown or so in that fourth quarter to make it. I think it was a two-point game. If they got the two-point conversion, they would have tied it. That, that touchdown was just so much going on in that moment because the Niners were trailing. I think it was like 28-6 to six early in that game. They're getting blown out. And then the lights go out. And there's like a hour delay. And then all of a sudden the momentum starts going in San Fran's favor and then cap gets that touchdown. And it's like, Holy crap. We, we have a chance to pull this off. And, you know, I could go in all day about, about that game and how we could have won and whatever. But that, that moment was, that moment was cool. It was a great moment, you know, cap balled out in that game. And, and I will forever remember that moment for sure. But, you know, it's, it's going to be a great game between the chiefs and the bucks. There were a ton of great Super Bowl memories. I still remember the last Super Bowl in Tampa between the Steelers and Cardinals. I mean, what a game that was too. I mean, James Harrison, Antonio Holmes, that was crazy as well. I mean, I was wild. Yeah, I was just watching those highlights actually the other day. I remember that game so well. I was rooting for Pittsburgh for some reason, but that game was just that James Harrison play. There was no time on the clock. It was either all 100 yards or nothing. What a play that was. Yeah. I know, right? It's, it's absolutely wild. And here's a fun fact about that game that I just took in a few days ago, too. Guess who the offensive coordinator of Pittsburgh was in that Super Bowl, too? I have no idea. It was B.A., Bruce Arians. Oh, so he, right. Yes. He won, he won the Super Bowl last time in Tampa. in Tampa Bay. And then here he is again, first time as a head coach, play, coaching in the Super Bowl. And B.A.'s had such, a, such an interesting you know, way to get here to the Super Bowl. He was close with Arizona, but now we got here with Tampa Bay. I mean, you know, 
BA is just impossible to not like. And honestly, same with Andy Reid. Like, both of them are so likable, such amazing creative minds that have been doing this forever. So it's a great coaching matchup as well, of course. Other than the Super Bowl, the night before, the NFL honors will take place. And that will we'll find out the MVP, Offensive Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, and all that stuff. So we will make our picks for who we think are going to win the following awards. And we'll start with the most valuable player of the 2020 NFL season. Of course, no one even thought there was even going to be a season beforehand. And it's pretty crazy that we've even gotten to this point. But the MVP, I think there were two obvious candidates throughout the year who you got to win MVP of this season. I'm taking Rodgers. I'm taking Rodgers um, just because 13-3. and three, I know Mahomes went 14-1, and one, but Rodgers had 48 touchdowns, right? This is his best year. I just think he deserved it. I, I don't know what else to say. 48 touchdowns, five interceptions. That's a crazy ratio, almost 10 to 1. Um, he just balled out. He just balled out. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you. I got Rodgers as well on this one by a long shot. I just think that what he did this season in his second year under Matt LaFleur was just incredible. And at the end of the day, like you said, 48 touchdowns, like that's just just ridiculous. And then only five interceptions, like that's just absolutely incredible. And at the same time, when I see that stat and I see MVP and it's like, Oh my God, like Super Bowl MVP would have had a much better ring to it for Aaron Rodgers. But man, it, it is what it is at the end of the day. I'm honestly, I still feel terrible for Aaron Rodgers, but what an incredible season. And he deserves all the credit in the world for what he was able to do. And I think he'll be back next year with Green Bay. And I think he'll have another great season. But I think the NFC is going to get better. They're going to get healthier. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Brady's planning on coming back so we'll find out what happens there but I got I got number 12 as well Aaron Rodgers to win MVP this year with those stat lines and the best completion percentage in his career as well for offensive player of the year I'm gonna go with my pick and I'm gonna say it's Derrick Henry for me this guy is just a beast and I don't know why he like when people talk about MVP like do they do realize that it's about more than a quarterback right <laughs> like I just, I can't even, like, like when people ask, oh, who's going to win MVP? It seems like everyone's always talking about a quarterback, no? 100%. I remember a couple of years ago, J.J. Watt was in the mix, and that was like, if you're not going to give it to J.J. Watt that year, then just make it an offensive award. Then same thing hey. this year. If you're not going to give it to Derrick Henry, then it's just a quarterback award at this point. Exactly. That's what, I, I just cannot believe. The guy had 17 TDs, ran for over two thousand yards for the first time in his career and it became the eighth running back only the eighth running back in NFL history to cross the 2000 yard mark since Adrian Peterson did it in 2012 like I just don't know how you don't give a guy like that the most valuable player and Derrick Henry's a guy everyone likes to talk about how quarterbacks can affect the game and they can change a game and and impact Derrick Henry can change a game he is one guy that can impact the game in such a significant way and you look at that Baltimore game in the playoffs the Ravens stifled them if they didn't look at last year Derrick Henry had his way and the Titans went all the way to the AFC title game Derrick Henry has that effect and it's just honestly it's crazy it's disrespectful almost in a way that he doesn't get that kind of recognition but I, I got him for offensive player of the year because it's just if he's not going to get MVP he's got to get something for the year that he had who you got yeah, it's it's tempting to take Derrick Henry. 
but I'm going to throw you a little curveball. I'm going with Devontae Adams. Okay. Oh, I like that. Tay had a big year. Devontae Adams. Aaron Rodgers does not get MVP this year without Devontae Adams. Let's make that clear. Okay? Oh, yeah. Devontae Adams played 14 games. And he was still managed to be in top five of reception, receiving yards. Led the league in touchdowns. This man had 18 touchdowns in 14 games. That is ridiculous to me. I just feel like every single night they had to double team him and he was still putting up ridiculous stats and him and Aaron Rodgers both are deserving of this type of year. Yeah, 100%. I couldn't agree more. I think Devontae Adams was the best receiver in football this year. Like, of course, you know, Michael Thomas wasn't healthy. D-Hop had a big year. Julio was banged up here and there, but... I think Devontae Adams had to be the best receiver in football this year. The guy was amazing. I think, like like you said, the Green Bay would not be where they were this year if it wasn't for Devontae Adams. He was amazing for what he did, and he's got a great future ahead of him with Green Bay. And I think, you know, as we every year we keep having the conversation, who's the best receiver in football? I think slowly but surely, Devontae Adams is going to get that recognition of, yeah, I think he, he's the best receiver in football right now, but... He's, he played like it this year for sure. I, I definitely agree with that one. That's a nice pick there. For Defensive Player of the Year, there were there were a lot. There were a handful. And the one that comes to mind to me is I think I, I, I'm kind of torn here whether I feel like is he the favorite or is, is this going outside the box? But I think T.J. Watt of the Pittsburgh Steelers had a really big year. He led the league in sacks, had one interception. The Steelers' defense was remarkable throughout the season, and I don't know what in the name of God happened in, ja- happened in January, but put that game aside, the Steelers' defense had a great year, and T.J. Watt was a big reason why. I mean, he was a big reason why Minka had a big year, why, Hay- why Hayward had a big year, and the rest of the Steelers' defense. T.J. Watt impacted the game in a lot of different ways, and I got him for Defensive Player of the Year. You can't go around with T.J. Watt. He's definitely deserving of it an award like this. But I'm not going to agree with you on this one. I'm taking the best defensive player in football, Aaron Donald. He's already one of the greatest defensive players of all time. Okay, so TJ Watt, you see he led the league in sacks. Aaron Donald's right behind him at number two. Aaron Donald forces four fumbles this year. Okay, meanwhile, this is all him getting double teamed, triple teamed every single snap. And he's still putting up these kind of numbers. Unbelievable. 13 and a half sacks, four forced fumbles, and led these Rams as the number one defense in the league. 100%. I, I agree with that. I mean, even though he's he's in the same division as my Niners, but, you know, Aaron Donald's one of those guys that I just, I just can't hate on. Like, he's honestly one of the – he's the best defensive lineman in football. He's, you know, just amazing at what he does. And, he, and we talked about how – players that can impact the game. Aaron Donald can impact the game. He does impact the game. And that's ultimately why they didn't beat the Green Bay Packers in the divisional round because Green Bay's offensive line kept Aaron Rodgers clean. Like Aaron Donald, you don't see his name show up on the stat sheet. But when Aaron Donald can take over a game, he's a he's a bad man. And I completely agree with that. I think he's definitely atop the list of defensive player of the year. Aaron Donald's just, he's just impossible to hate, man. He's just so good, but... Onto the rookie of the year, offensive, defensive side, offense. I think defense, we have a pretty good idea of who we both want. I think we could both agree on Chase Young, I'm right? I'm with you on that. No argument here. Yeah. Yeah, Chase Young, another guy. We talked about Aaron Donald, how he can impact the game. 
Chase Young really showed, especially later in the year, that he could take over a game. I know that. I watched that Washington Niners game late in the year, a game the Niners needed to win, and the Niners' defense did not give up a single offensive touchdown that entire game. Washington scored 23 points. Chase Young had his footprints all over, the, or fingerprints, rather, all over that game. It was just... The, what he was able to do was amazing, and he kept doing that throughout the end of the season. And I think for rookies this year, offensive defense, for them, you got to give them the benefit of the doubt. They didn't have OTAs. They were, you know, had to learn the playbook. They are new to the league in a season that was unlike any other. It's, you know, it's bound to, to take time to get used to things. And I think for some of these rookies, the reason why that they didn't turn it on late it's because they didn't have a proper offseason. But Chase Young, he turned it on. He can impact the game. He was fantastic. As for Offensive Rookie of the Year, I'm going to go with Justin Herbert. I think what he did this season, I think Joe Burrow was having a phenomenal year before he got hurt. But Justin Herbert had some kind of year with the Chargers. 31 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, threw for over 4,000 yards. He, held, he made my life easier because I had Keenan Allen on both my fantasy teams. So Justin Herbert made my life easier because Keenan Allen was racking up the stat sheet every week. But Herbert has this ability, and this is why I'm kind of upset that the Chargers went with a defensive-minded head coach instead of going with an offensive mind because you have a young quarterback who's really, really talented. Bring in somebody who can help change that. Pep Hamilton is no, no, no longer with the Chargers. I believe he took the job with the Texans. That's not good. You now lost Anthony Lynn and Pep Hamilton, and, and you could have brought in another offensive mind to help Justin Herbert, but that's a story for another day and a topic for another time. But I think what Justin Herbert did last season was incredible. Same thing as we talked about with Chase Young with not having a proper offseason. And Chase, Justin Herbert's debut, for God's sakes, he didn't know until like two minutes before kickoff, and he went out and balled out against Patrick Mahomes. It was fantastic. Uh, yeah, Justin Herbert is looks like he's built from like a quarterback lab. Like if you were to draw a quarterback that you would want, it would just be Justin Herbert until he cut his hair. Big, strong, <laughs> can throw the ball as far as you want. He's he's definitely one to watch for. But I'm 100%. going with Justin Jefferson from the Vikings. I think Justin Jefferson had the best w- rookie wide receiver year since Randy Moss. This man was fourth in receiving yards. Fourth behind Stefan Diggs, Travis Kelsey, and DeAndre Hopkins. Justin Jefferson balled out on a pretty bad Minnesota team, made that Stefan yeah. Diggs trade look a little better than it initially did with the way Stefan Diggs was playing. Yep. But um Yep, I agree. Yeah, it's just a crazy year. You only see those types of rookies go off like that once every twenty years. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Justin Jefferson is something else. And I'll give another shout out to C.D. Lamb in Dallas, who had a big year as well. But Justin Jefferson was was fantastic. And I think when, like, as you pointed out with Stephon Diggs, I think that as we saw Justin Jeff- Jefferson really turn it on during the season, you're thinking the Vikings already, you know, we were thinking about when Diggs left, who's going to replace Stephon Diggs? Justin Jefferson answered that question in like literally a split second. You're going into next season where now you got Dalvin mm-hmm. Cook, you got Thielen, Rudolph, Jefferson. The Vikings' offensive weapons are set in place. Justin Jefferson balled out this year for sure. The question is, can Kirk Cousins take the Vikings to the next level? But again, that's another conversation for another day. As for comeback player, 
Yeah, put it in. Could you imagine if the Packers had Justin Jefferson instead of drafting Jordan Love? Oh, my God. I hope Packers fans aren't listening to this. <laughs> that would, honestly, that, I would be, it'd, it'd be incredible. I mean, that's the whole thing. I mean, you, you'll give credit where it's due. So, yes, the Packers definitely had the, one of the best, they had the best offensive in football this year. And that's something that back before the season started, we're like, there's no way the Packers are going to be that good. I wrote them off. I thought they were going to win the division, but I didn't think they'd be as good as they were this year at, at all. I'm like, okay, they got Devontae Adams, they got Aaron Jones, but who else do they have? Valdez Scantling is, you know, decent. Lazard is decent. Tunyon's pretty good. But like, you're right. If you add Justin Jefferson and now you got to face him twice a year, that's even worse. But man, I, I could not agree to match him with Devontae Adams. Oh my goodness. But I mean, you know, Got to give Adam Thielen some love, too. I mean, he's one of the top receivers in football, too. And mm-hmm. he's paired with Justin Jefferson, I think, is disgusting. But, yeah, Green Bay, I mean, no question. I mean, you can put two different sides to that. I mean, you can look at, yeah, you take Justin Jefferson and that offense just whew, like skyrockets. But you can also look at the side of if the Packers did not take Jordan Love, who did not suit up for a single game, but did, does Aaron Rodgers have the season that he does? That's the question that I think. Packers fans might think about because I know now that the season's over, people are probably thinking, shoot, maybe drafting Jordan Love actually wasn't a bad idea if we're getting Aaron Rodgers playing the ball of his life, right? So I, you know, you could think about a lot of different ways, but I completely agree. Justin Jefferson and Devontae Adams would be just an absolutely disgusting duo, 100%. But on to comeback player of the year, I don't even think this is a discussion. I think me and you and pretty much everyone in on planet Earth has to have Alex Smith as comeback player of the year. It was he, it was done. The conversation for the sword was done the second he even stepped on the field. Like he literally, didn't have yep. to put up any numbers, and the fact he did pretty decent too. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Like they, in fact, honestly, he didn't even need to play. <laughs> All he needed to do was suit up and be the backup, and I'm like, he's comeback player of the year. Just hold the clipboard. Like, Literally, like from what he dealt with from being told by a doctor that you may never be able to walk again. Forget about playing sports and playing football. You may not ever be able to walk on your feet again. I mean, and then to lead a football team to the playoffs, a team that really hardly has any talent on the offensive side of the football and what Alex Smith did was just remarkable. I think they were what, like three and one or four and one at some point in his first like four or five games as a starter. Like that's just, I don't know what Alex Smith did. You know, I gotta, I gotta show him love as, as a former Niner, but like what he did is honestly just inspirational. It was phenomenal to see him thrive like that. No, that's your guy. That's been your guy. Oh, hundred percent. It's, you know, a great story and we'll see what happens with Washington going forward and, and what happens, but honestly, even if, if Alex Smith does retire this offseason, I still think what an incredible journey it, it really was for him at the end of the day. And honestly, I will say this since we're talking about Alex Smith. He, yes, he did not play in a Super Bowl. He backed up Cap in the Super Bowl. You know, he had his moments in the postseason, but he could never really take the team to that next level. But he had his moments. And I'll say about, especially that Saints game back in 2012, instant classic. But Alex Smith, what he did by helping Colin Kaepernick take the next level, right? Alex Smith gets benched. Colin Kaepernick takes the team to a Super Bowl. 
Alex Smith goes to Kansas City, takes them to the playoffs, I think like three, four straight seasons. He then gets benched for Patrick Mahomes, who has taken the Chiefs to the AFC Championship three consecutive years to the Super Bowl back-to-back years. That has to say something about the kind of mentor Alex Smith is, right? And have you ever heard him say one bad thing about getting benched? Like, never, never, never. Ultimate professional. Yep. Just yep. So, such a good dude, man. I, I just love watching that dude. Love, just love everything about him. 100%. I could not agree more with that. I think with, with Alex Smith, you're right. A lot of other players would, you know, say little things, not make a whole big deal about it. Be like, you know, it sucks and, you know, we're not happy. And then, you know, sometimes you have you have players who are like on Twitter and tweeting things like, oh, I want out and blah, blah, blah. But you're right. You never heard a peep from Alex Smith about any of that stuff. Ton of respect for Alex Smith. He much deserved this award. And honestly, they got to put some kind of something in the Hall of Fame in Canton for Alex Smith regardless. But, you know, I wish him the best, whatever he's got in the future, if he's going to play again next year, retirement, whatever. But Alex Smith, absolutely motivational, inspirational story. Last award, Coach of the Year. There were definitely a few candidates. My top two came down to Sean McDermott and Kevin Stefanski. But my deciding factor had to come down to the fact of McDermott, took the Bills to the playoffs three out of four years. Unbelievable. No one has been able to do that prior to 2017. But the Cleveland Browns couldn't even get a 500 record for the past two decades. Kevin Stefanski led a team to an 11-5 record, won a playoff game against a division rival that they haven't beaten in their building in, what was it, like 17 years or something? They beat the Steelers and then almost beat the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs too. What Kevin Stefanski did was just like, there was the expectation that was like get into the playoffs as like the seven seed at nine and seven. And he just went above and beyond. And he didn't even have to coach that Steelers game. He watched it from his basement and they still did what they did in that playoff game. Just says a lot about Kevin Stefanski and the Browns are relevant and no one has been able to do that. We don't like, come on, we got to admit no one has been able to do that. Like LeBron could have been the head coach of Cleveland and we'd be like, I don't even know if he could bring the Browns to a winning record. Kevin Stefanski did that and more. Yeah, 100%. That's a good call. And you add in the fact that Odell Beckham got hurt early on in the year, too. Uh-huh. Yep. This is kind of what the Browns were supposed to be like last year when they added all those dudes. And he actually yep. happened. Yep. So, yeah, big yep. 100%. Stefanski for that. 100%. I think one of the best running back duos in the NFL with Chubb and Hunt. Yep. You know, they're they're they were loaded. They got hot on a good time too. But I'm gonna have to go with McDermott. You had him as your number two. I'll take him as my number one. He went thirteen and three. Um Buffalo was just on fire at the end of the year. Not even at the end of the year. If you ignore they had two losses week five and six to Tennessee and Kansas City. After that, if outside of the Hail Mary they they just went off. Like if you take out that hill, maybe yep. they went like seven wins in a row, eight wins in a row. Yeah, that's yep. ridiculous. They were on fire. Buffalo was on fire. I think he had a lot to do with Josh Allen turning the corner as well and letting him run loose with Stephon Diggs. Their offense, their offense was potent. I think they had like the number three offense in the league. Just a good yep. year for Buffalo. Yeah, 100%. I definitely agree with that. What Sean McDermott did this year was amazing. What Buffalo did this year, the leap that Josh Allen took was just insane to, you know, win their first AFC title in like 25 years was fantastic. Host a playoff game, 
host two playoff games, win a win two playoff games. Buffalo took a massive step in the right direction, but they got a great future ahead of them. I definitely give a lot of credit to Sean McDermott. On to the final segment of this episode, something I like to call the two-minute drill. I'm going to point some stuff out, you answer, and then I'll give my answer, and we'll go from there. So we'll start it off here. Who throws more interceptions on Super Bowl Sunday, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes? Ooh, I'm going Brady. Yeah, I, I think, really? Yeah. That's, a, that's a, You know what? Mahomes protects the ball a lot. Brady has had those issues. I, I might have to go with that as well. But just because Mahomes rarely throws interceptions, I'll, I'll go Tom Brady as well on that one. Who has the bigger day running the football? Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones or Darrell Williams, Le'Veon Bell, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? I'm going with Fournette to have the most rushing yards out of everybody playing. I think he's going to have a pretty big game. Damn. Big, big, strong running back. I feel like he's going to get some, get some nice runs. Damn. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'll go with Fournette and Jones as well. I think Ronald Jones is healthy. The guy's been a beast all year. I'll take Ronald Jones. Which duo has the bigger night, Evans and Godwin or Kelsey and Hill? That's a tough one. I think it's going to be Kelsey and Hill just because they're so explosive. And yeah. I think Brady's going to look to uh, some other guys like Kane and Brady and Gronk a little bit more than just yep. these two alone. Yeah, 100%. I'm going to have to agree with that just because Kelsey and Hill have done like everything on Kansas City's offense. I got to go with Kelsey and Hill as well. Game on the line. Which weapon you throw into on the final play of the game to win the Super Bowl? KC or Tampa? I'm going to Gronk. That's, 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 a good, that's a good one. I think Tom Brady definitely relies on that. I'll go Mike Evans because there's been a lot of times this year Mike Evans has been the best red zone guy for Tampa Bay. So I'll, go, I'll say Mike Evans there. Here's another thing, keeping it on the topic of Mike Evans. You saw the video of him forgetting that there was the NFC Championship celebration. <laughs> Do you think Mike Evans will remember there was a Vince Lombardi trophy presentation if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win this football game? <laughs> he better, man. He better. Oh, yeah, he better. That would be hilarious if he missed that one. But we'll see what happens there. And last but not least, who you got taking home the Lombardi trophy? I'm going Bucks. I'm going Bucks. I feel like a lot of people are on KC. I don't know how the Bucs are going to win. I just, I think Brady will just get it done. Yeah, no, I I have to agree with that. I'm going to go with Tampa Bay as well. I think that Tom Brady is just playing for a new team, playing in their home stadium for the first time ever. There's just, there's so much history. The Bucs haven't won in 18 years. There's a lot to root for, whether Kansas City, they're going to be doing this thing, you know, every other year for the next 10 years. So I'm going to go Tampa Bay as well. But that's the wrap for this episode. Thank you, Bilal, for joining this episode. It was a pleasure to have you on this one. Thanks for having me on, man. It was fun. And that'll do it for this week's Super Bowl preview episode of the 49 Away podcast. Don't forget to give the 49 Away a follow on Instagram for more 49ers news and analysis. And hope everyone enjoys Super Bowl Sunday between the Bucks and the Chiefs. Should be a good one. Hope everyone has a great week and enjoys Super Bowl Sunday.